Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Culture Moments Podcast. I'm your host, Larry Baker, and I am thrilled to have you join us for our second season called Brave Conversations with LCW. In these episodes, you'll hear from a panel of guests from specific communities, offering a range of perspectives on the past two years. We'll hear about their own experiences, as well as their insights on what has changed, and more importantly, what needs to change to move equity forward. As we all know, so much has shifted and changed over the past two years, and for many of us, we're still in recovery from a very difficult 24 months. And today, we are going to be having a brave conversation of what that recovery looks like specifically for the Latinx community. I am thrilled and excited to have with me for my two guests, Daisy Dominguez and Carlos Herrera, and I will give you the opportunity to introduce yourselves. So Daisy, I'll start with you. Give us an introduction of who you are and what you do. Thank you so much, Larry. Um, hi, everyone. Daisy Oje Dominguez. I am the Chief People Officer at Vice Media Group. That means that I'm responsible for our people, our culture, our social impact initiatives for a global workforce of over 2,000 employees in nearly 20 plus countries. Um, I have a long history of being a diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner. Uh, I have worked at uh, Moody's Investor Service, uh, Time Warner. Disney, Google, Viacom. I have also launched my own consultancy on workplace culture, and my mission is to make workplaces equitable and inclusive. Awesome. Thank you so much for that intro, Daisy. Carlos, tell us who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Hi, hi, Daisy and Larry, and hello, everyone. Um, so, so my parents uh, named me Carlos Herrera. Uh, I also welcome Carlos Herrera because not everyone can roll the R's like I do. That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, my pronouns are he, him, and his. Uh, located in Chicago, have about 22 years of experience doing like talent acquisition work, campus recruiting work, and diversity, uh, equity, inclusion work. Uh, I've been in good hands at Allstate for about 13 years. I'm um, part of the inclusive diversity and equity team. Uh, we have about eight, eight, nine people on our team. I've uh, been involved with a lot of different things, employee resource group programs, training, diversity recruiting. Uh, right now, I do a lot of uh, partnering with the external organizations we partner with, are uh, working with our inclusive diversity and equity councils, and uh, moving forward our disability inclusion work. Uh, and uh, so that's me professionally, personally, uh, family background from Mexico. Uh, and I will neither, neither confirm nor deny how my parents got to Chicago, but they got there. Uh, and they, uh, that's where they met and they had me and my, my three brothers were born there. So, so that's me. Awesome. Thank you so much for that insight, Carlos. So based upon this wealth of knowledge, and I'm going to uh, excuse the pun, Carlos, I am sure we are in good hands today <laughs> with our conversation. So I appreciate that. And Carlos, I'm actually going to kick off our session with you because I want you to give me some of your personal thoughts some stories, some reactions that have occurred in the Latinx community from the beginning of COVID to the current moment. And if you could kind of talk to me about some of the challenges 
that have surfaced. And as a extra bonus, talk about how maybe some organizations and society can work together to try to alleviate those. So I know that's a lot, but I'm <laughs> confident that you are capable. Yeah, I know. It definitely is a lot of, when I think about the last 18 months, right, there's, there's a lot of things that I think about. I think about immigration, I think about the review of DACA, I think about what's happening at the border, you know, I think about unemployment, uh, the racial injustice, uh, the, the elections that took place, um, you know, even our, our own term, right? We use Latino, Latina, Latine, Latinx, Hispanic. Like, there's just a lot of things. But I think COVID is the one that, that really still sticks every day to a lot of people. Um, it's, it's all over the place, and a lot of people are affected by it in, in, in all different means. Uh, it's just such a heavy and a real topic, right? Uh, you know, I'll, what I'll share is, you know, looking for stories. So I'll share, uh, um, you know, when all this kind of started, I was actually uh, – in Mexico with my mom uh, and we were there uh, visiting family. And then uh, we were hearing all this stuff was happening and how they were going to shut down travel. And, and me and my mom started really get worried. And uh, one of the things we thought about were, well, well, if we get sick, I mean, do we want to be in Mexico or do we want to go back mm. to United States? So we found a ticket and we went back to the United States. Yeah. Um, but what was, what was chilling though is, you know, we flew into O'Hare, O'Hare airport, one of the biggest, uh, busiest airports in the nation. Right. And um, it was just, silent there was no one there uh usually the lines for immigration take a long time it took like five minutes uh you know we go outside we get the taxi and got a taxi right away and no one was on the road this is like in the afternoon when we got home no one was on the road so it was really chilling right and it just it, it just came to the fact of like you know what's going on and what do we do and and uh for myself uh you know i, I live by myself and, and and i'm able to i think take care of myself but my mom you know, my, my dad passed away about three years ago. So my mom's on her own. Like my concern came to my mom. I mean, when you think about our culture, like our family is so important to us. Yeah. And so I was really thinking about, you know, how's my mom going to get through this? Uh, you know, what does she need to, to kind of survive? So we had to get educated on all that stuff. So I, I think one of the things that I think a lot of people and a lot of organizations did was helping each other and understanding how, what situation we're in and how can we get, through it, right? And at the time, we didn't know when it was going to end. It's still not ending, and there's still more to learn. Um, but really, relying on each other uh, to be able to support each other in this in this time. And and you know, when you think about family, you don't think about immediate family in our culture. It's like you know, our, our aunts, our uncles, our nephews, our cousins, our yep. you know, our, our nieces, our abuelitas. And you know, I still have my abuelita. Thank God. And, and you know, in thinking her, like, how is this impacting her being so much older too? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then I also you know think about too like you know, during this time, like things had to get clean, right? Everyone's like clean. Who was, who are the workers that are doing all the cleaning? Who are all the essential workers? Yeah. A lot of them came from our community and just think about the risk that they were putting themselves in for us. Right. And it and, and, and really made me think about us, like us as a community, kind of where we're at and where we need to go. And that has been a constant message that I think about all the time. Where are we at as a community? Where do we want to go and not go separately, but together, right? I think that's where, where we're really going to be able to make some, some difference on things. Yeah, Carlos, I, I can't help but compare the parallels between that connection that you made about, well, who are the essential workers? Who are those individuals that are risking their safety 
for us. And I think about the parallel that just like in your community, in the Black community, a lot of our people were considered those essential workers too. So there's this connection that we have within our communities and you touch upon it so beautifully. How are we going to come together to make this uh, pandemic or whatever we want to call it, this crisis, how do we come together to bring about a resolution? So Carlos, I appreciate that connectivity. So Daisy, same question to you. Give me some of your personal thoughts, stories, reactions of the impact that COVID has had upon the Latinx community. And then of course, some challenges that may have surfaced. And more importantly, how do you think organizations and our society can work towards alleviating those? You know, I, I don't have a whole lot more to add um, than um, what Carlos has shared because I, I do think, and, and I think Larry, you 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 hit you hit the nail um, right in the head there. You know, something that's happened in the past year is that for those of us who thought we were separated, we've realized that we actually are not. Yeah. Um, and particularly for communities of color, there's a spiritual kinship that yes. we have, uh, a solidarity and a connection that your experience is not that different from mine. Yeah. Yes, there are racialized tensions that impact all of us differently, yes. um, but fundamentally there is a kinship there and an opportunity to, to lift each other up. Um, and I talk about this in, in my work, even when I speak about gender and I speak about the fact that white women have to use their privilege and power and influence to help chart and create a path for all women to advance, exactly. not just white women. And that means Latinas and that means women of color. And, and in this past year, we've, we've been forced to reckon with that in a really unique way. Um, and so while I'll, while I'll add, what I'll add to um, what Carlos has said is that the Latinx community, again, it's not a monolithic. It is a very complex and nuanced community, 26 nationalities, generational differences, language differences, cultural differences, if you will. Um, and what I found was that this past year and a half um, of lockdown and pandemic has created an even bigger window for our Latinx Gen Zers and millennials to do what they do really well, which is to, you know, to identify problems and to try to dismantle them. Uh, and, you know, and it brought and it brought an energy to those of us who, frankly, um, you know, in the early parts of our careers, didn't have the same chutzpah, if you will, and courage that these right. young people have. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and in, and in many ways, what I always, you know, what I tell a lot of younger people is like, you know, you're able to do what you're able to do because, you know, because I swallowed my pride for so many years and I was able to do, you know, build these structures and I was able to do what I was able to do because of the daily indignities that our ancestors had to face every day to create open spots and opportunities for us to enter these workplaces. Yeah. And so, you know, so I, so I think that there's been a moment of connection and awareness and, um, and shared perhaps a little bit more shared understanding. I won't say that it's fully of, of our common experiences, but I'll tell you this. And cause I, I live in the, in the world of work and everyone has a relationship to work. It is how we get paid and are able to put food in our children's bellies. And for the Latinx community, 
no matter where you come from, family, and for the Black community as well, family is everything to us. And, you know, and how we take care of our families, we work so that we can take care of our families, we work so that we can create opportunities for our families. And some people experience the workplace as it should be challenging, right? Because it's work. But for others, you know, if they're lucky, they think, you know, they consider work to be rewarding for Mm -hmm. others. And that's Latinx and Black and BIPOC and people of color, that same workplace is overlaid with microaggressions, gender violence, systemic racism, outright discrimination, you know, and sometimes that nagging feeling that, you know, you just don't belong in these places because they were never designed with you in mind. And this past year and a half, we have had employees say no more. And we have seen Latinx employees rise and say, I don't want virtue virtue signaling. I don't want performative allyship. I want you to make workplaces more inclusive and equitable for people that look like me. Mm-hmm. And and there there is today's Latinx professionals and women in particular are far better educated and prepared to advance in their careers than ever before, but they're still facing the same obstacles and challenges to advancement and growth in organizations. And what we're seeing is Latinx employees acknowledging that, trying to solve for that, and recognizing that if you want to, now during this moment of the great resignation, which is what we're all living, if you want to keep me in this workplace, you have to understand me, you have to value me, you have to see me, and you have to create opportunities for my growth. And that, I think, is unique a unique aspect of this past year and a half this the, of course daisy it, it again you resonate with that comment about kinship and i think that within our two communities the experiences are so similar and we have to find a way to understand that we're in this together and yes this event of george floyd's murder took precedence in society's eyes, but we have to understand we're fighting the same fight. So those same comments that you're talking about, uh, the Latinx community stepping up, I see the same thing in my community with my younger Black people that I talk to. They are ready. They are coming to the battle and they're coming to the battle wiser. Oh yeah. And and they have these techniques and they have this this ability to speak in a way that, like you said, in my generation, we learn to bear it because that's what we were taught from our previous generation, right? We were taught to bear it. They're not bearing it. They are looking at this opportunity as a moment to raise their voices, and they are not afraid to do that. So I love how you talked about that kinship because most organizations want to pit us against each other. But as long as we continue to remember, no, we are fighting the same fight. We have this this undeniable thread that connects us together of being a part of the underrepresented. And I hope that we continue to keep that as our focus, as we move forward. So I thank you so for so eloquently putting that in motion that we can have that conversation. So I'm not gonna stop. I think that we're on a roll and and I wanna talk about, and Daisy, you're in a unique position 
uh, as being the chief people person in your organization, I just want to ask you, and again, just flat out, just let me know how much progress do you think companies have actually made to expand true inclusion and belonging of the Latinx community, especially from that international lens, because I'm sorry, from that intersectional lens that you mentioned earlier. So speak to that point for me, if you will. Clearly not enough. Um, you know, I, I just I just relaunched um, an article that I wrote two years ago about Hispanic Heritage Month. And it's like if I had written it yesterday, <laughs> it's the same. It's the same challenges that exist in organizations. It is um, it's a community that is still very much sidelined and marginalized. It's a community that many people just don't understand. And so they just it's too hard. It's too complex. I don't you know, I wait, you speak Spanish, but you don't speak the same Spanish that this person does or that, you know, and by the way, we all speak the same Spanish, but we have different accents. Um, um, but wait, you know, you're, you're a black Latino or you're a white Latino. You are, you know, I was born in New York city and raised in the Dominican Republic and then came back to the U S when I was 16. People didn't know what to do with me because I spoke English fluently because I went to an international school, but I was, I came from a working class family and, you know, and I had an experience of what the Latin, uh, the Latino community is outside of the U.S. and within the U.S. So I had to find my way of defining what it was for me to be back then Hispanic, eventually Latina, now Latinx. And they're like, wait, you use three different terms. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that look like? The complexity of that, um, you know, I think scares too many people away. But what I always tell leaders is, you know, you, you know, privilege is the ability to be able to look away and you can't look away. You have to look at us. You have to understand your workforce. You can't keep on commenting of the fact that this is the largest growing and, and still growing, you know, underrepresented community, you know, in the U.S. We're no longer underrepresented. We're 18% of this minority, you know, really majority minority culture in the U.S., and not create retention programs, advancement programs, um, and not incorporate into your work opportunities that, are, that go beyond Hispanic Heritage Month that are all year long. We still are operating in companies that believe we put a nice little gift for September, you know, September 15th through October 15th, and at the end, we're done. You know, when, I, when, I, worked, when, I, when I worked at Disney, I remember when I joined, the first thing that they asked me to do was to and I was, you know, the head of diversity and inclusion and talent acquisition, but they asked me to look at a campaign that they were going to be launching for Hispanic Heritage Month. And I looked at it and it was lovely. And I said, well, in what markets is this going to play? And they said, oh, this is a national play. And I said, well, really, this is, you know, you're talking about tamales. You're talking about, you know, a, you know, an experience that is going to play really well in the Southwest. It's going to play well in the West. It's not going to play as well in the East Coast where you have more Caribbean Latinos that are eating, you know, arroz con pollo every day. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. we will we will appreciate it. We will we will love it. But if you want to really reach us, then create another <laughs> spot that speaks to that segment and that speaks more broadly to this community. And then I reminded them. And just by the way, and this was for TV. Just like Black people don't only watch TV during Black History Month, Latinos don't only watch TV between September 15th and October 15th. Right. We consume this content all year long. So what are you doing to draw us in all year long? And what are you doing to bring in the talent behind the camera and in front of the camera to create the content that everybody else wants to consume? And so that 
we're still having those conversations in companies. Right? We're still pushing for it. And it is until we, we I, I fundamentally believe until we see a critical mass, not just of talent at the junior levels, but at the mid and senior levels of organizations, will we be able to have these conversations in both the comfort and discomfort that comes from it? Yeah. And Daisy, we um, have a program that talks about it's a cultural immersion about the Latinx experience. And we talk about a lot of those concepts about it's not just September 15th through October 15th. It's great that you have this awareness, but what is the action that comes from that awareness? Because if you simply rely on the fact that, oh, now I'm aware of the Latinx culture and you do nothing about it, you've literally wasted our time. So our program is really designed to give that historical perspective. And it talks about all of those different dynamics, but it encourages action, which is, is the main piece to that puzzle. And uh, one of my fantastic facilitators happens to be uh, in the room today. And mm -hmm. definitely is a program that we are extremely proud of. Carlos, I have not forgotten about you, my friend, <laughs> because I want to know, talk to me. I mean, we have done work together with your organization in the past, but how much progress do you think companies have actually made to expand that true inclusion for your Latinx community? Yeah, no, there's a, there's definitely an opportunity, right? And I agree with a lot of what, what shared those same thoughts. Uh, I do think you know, the George Floyd murder did provide and surface an opportunity for people to really think about what are you going to do, right? Mm -hmm. And not only, not only people individually, but also the communities that you're in, and, as well as the companies that you're part of. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? And is those, what your actions based on what you're going to do is going to dictate, like, who are you going to be involved with and who's going to join you in what you're trying to do? Yeah. Well, right now, the, the world is changing for so many different reasons, for our demographics, uh, for technology, for all these, you know, issues that come up. Uh, and it's people need to come together for it. So people are going to join forces. So people are going to want to join companies that align to how they're thinking and how they're feeling, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think more so now than before, what employees think and feel is going to be so important. And, and, and employers, the more that they open up their, their, their eyes and their ears, uh, the more they're big, they'll be able to be, to be successful. Because employers need, companies need to listen to employees. You know, I'm actually very thankful we have our employee resource groups uh, because we actually leaned on them a lot. Uh, when you think about George Floyd, when you think about the murders that happened in the AAPI community, uh, when you think about everything recently with the, with, with, with the uh, veterans in Afghanistan, like, like our employee resource groups, we lean on them to really help us understand what direction do we need to go. Give us guidance. Help us support the rest of our, our, our company and employees to, to decide yeah. what to do. Because uh, if we don't provide, like, tools and resources to those, like, groups – we're never going to move anything ever, right? Uh, so I'm very happy, actually, that that our company decided to like, okay, well, what's the next level of these ERGs? What's what's you know version 3.0? You can't be talking about 1.0 because then you're way behind, right? And I want you to come up, but come up quick because yeah. we need to really come together because these these ERGs. When you think about intersectionality, when you think about allyship, like this is where the gold is on really changing where we're at uh, as people, as communities, as companies. Uh, and again, we just got to we got to listen more and have more more 
faith and trust in these groups uh, while making big company decisions, right? Um, so I, I, I do think that, uh, yeah, the more we come together, the better, the better off we are. And, and, but I will say one other thing, though, uh, specifically to our community, like our community needs better be, be, our community needs to be better with ourselves. Like we have so much issues within our own community that, that like, it's kind of like true diversity. And I get it from LCW, the great partner that you are all are, right? Like you need to figure out your diversity space before you start helping out everyone else with their diversity space. Like yeah. even our community, like we need to figure out us, our yeah. brown community. We need to figure out us before we start joining all these other communities and partnering with all these other communities. Because yes, Black and brown coming together is going to make it stronger. But brown, you got to get your stuff together with ourselves and supporting ourselves. Don't be so negative with each other, right? Be more togetherness. And, and, and to Daisy's point, there's, there's, there's a lot of us. And the more that a lot of us can come together and put all of our challenges and talk about that and, and be able to resolve or put them to the side, like as soon as we're able to come together, then that's a strong community that the other communities are going to want to partner with. I, I agree, Carlos. I echo that statement. Of course, I'm focusing on the Black community because I know that this, I've said this before about this particular program, but even within that Latinx experience, we talk about some of the intercultural complexities of being within that community. Because again, part of that awareness is not only for non-people of color, we're asking from our own group, hey, you know, we've got some you know, we've got some skeletons in our closet, too, that we probably want to arrange in a nice little way before we can ask other people to join into that fight as well. So I absolutely respect, appreciate, head nods. You're getting an amen from the congregation that there's work to be done within our own community. So I appreciate that transparency uh, that you relayed. So, Carlos, you're, you're on a roll. So I'm going to ask you the next question or lead asking you the next question, because now I want to get specific to focus on leaders. You you mentioned something that I hope you tap into, but I want you to tell me what's your one ask for leaders beyond um, Hispanic Heritage Month. What should be their next step in that allyship journey, in your opinion? Yeah, yeah. So, so when you think about that question, I think about like, the, like the journey, you know, everyone has their journey in this DEI space, right? And, and like, what is your journey? Where are you at in this DEI space? Uh, that's important to understand. But what's also important to understand is, where do you want to go? You might know where you're at and don't want to go anywhere. You know, that, that, that's not going to help the cause, right? If right. you want to go someplace, I want to be able to support you where you want to go with it, right? So people, and also let's be real, right? When I, when I'm thinking about leaders, like you look at the org chart, you, you cut it in half and you look up at the org chart. I mean, that's a lot of white males we're actually worth thinking about, right? And, and, and really allyship right now is probably so important. And it's really that white male, right? That ally that's really going to help us move this needle forward. Uh, because uh, we can continue doing as part of the community and, and saying our words and doing our actions and, and having our behaviors, but it's the people that haven't been part of it in the past that can be part of it moving forward, which is gonna, which is how change is actually going to happen, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and keeping that in mind, and 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 uh, and you know, and, and and as you're an ally too, like you know, listen, learn, and act. 
don't come in as an ally and be like, let's do this. And not like, no, like be an ally, listen, learn and act. And, and one of the things I like telling people all the time is that like, when you wait, you can't really call yourself an ally, right? The community you're supporting, they're the ones that confirm like you're being an ally or not. You come in there with some totally wrong, different direction. Like that's not what the community wants. Listen to the community, right? Learn from the community and then you can act and partner with the community to be able to do what you want. But allyship is, is so important uh, to make things things happen in the future. Yeah, Carlos, again, I just appreciate the comment that you made. And it really rings true to some a point that I try to get across when I am facilitating with um, you know, audience, audiences that are primarily uh, white audiences, I really try to get them to remove themselves from the past and things that they had no control over. What I want you to do is to take that awareness that you have and move forward. What do you do from, to take, from today on? Not blaming, not trying to make you feel bad about the past because there's nothing you can do about that. I'm concerned about you making an impact on the future for, for not just for me, but for my children and my children's children. Those are the things that I'm more interested in on than bringing up the past and trying to rehash that. So I'm glad that you said that. Okay, Daisy, I know we are right in your wheelhouse when we talk about this whole concept of allyship and moving beyond Hispanic Heritage Month. So just give me some insights on the things that you are asking of leaders to do beyond October 15th and how do they move about being better allies? Well, I'm asking them to be better allies. <laughs> I'm asking, you know, I'm asking leaders to, um, to really get to know their teams, to, you know, to stop just sort of jumping to being a, you know, a performative ally and to recognize that, you know, ally with allyship comes action and responsibility. And it means um, that you're not just going to, you know, call yourself an ally and call it a day. You know, Latinx employees are in still in many ways trying to navigate workplaces that were not created with them in mind. And that means that leaders and managers, you know, allies need to ensure that Latinx employees genuinely believe that they have a successful career at their organization. And, you know, instead of making grand gestures about why diversity is important, they need to really focus on, you know, supporting and nurturing their employees, understanding what trips them up in the organization. What are their unique advantages? What are the, you know, how do you reduce the obstacles to their success? How do you do that? Um, how do you do that in a way that makes, that makes it um, more, um, more constructive and more equity driven versus just saying that you're, you know, that, you, you know, that you're an ally. Um, you know, there's a, there's a research piece that came out several years ago. And like I said earlier, while dated, it's still very relevant. And it's by COCOL, which is the formerly the Center for Talent Innovation, and it's called Latinos at Work. Mm -hmm. And in it, um, I'm going to forget some of the stats, but it was about over 40% of Latinx women felt the need to compromise their authenticity to yeah. conform to executive uh, or leadership present standards at their companies. Mm -hmm. You know, it was about 30 plus percent for men. You know, a good 70% or so felt that they had to cover, right? And that they had to tone down their appearance, their accents, mm -hmm. their emotions, also that they could survive in the workplace. That's exhausting. And it's a waste for organizations 
that say that they want to support their Latinx talent. So what I tell leaders to, you know, to do is to stop that, yeah. <laughs> to, to understand that, that their employees are not just doing their jobs, which is what you hire them for, what's in the job description, but they're having to do extra labor on top of that yeah. to just simply survive. And in order to do that, they have to change leadership norms. They have to be intentional about using their power and their influence to remove barriers and to clear the advancement path for all employees. And sometimes that means calling out discriminatory or microaggressive language in a meaning that means sometimes it means stopping a decision before someone's getting hired and saying wait a second then we consider all of the factors here could bias be a decision and why we're choosing a white person over a person of color that's what true allyship looks like and the only way to dismantle workplace barriers that limit the full inclusion and success of latinx employees is to call that out and to understand what they need and to be willing to shape new leadership norms. Yeah, and Daisy, you know, you, you talk about this concept and it, it really mirrors what we refer to or what we've known in the industry as something called stereotype threat. Mm -hmm. And it's experienced by a lot of people of color where it's almost as if you are functioning with two brains at all times. So not only are you doing the work that they hired you to do, you're fighting against the stereotypes that they're holding against you. And you're constantly trying to make everyone comfortable when it is absolutely draining everything out of you that most people don't even have to consider. So again, you're touching upon some things that just echo a lot of the work that we're trying to get out to let people understand that for our black and brown communities, in order to be inclusive, you have to remove those barriers in a place that, like you said, it's never been designed for us. So whatever it used to be, it has to be totally transformed so that we can feel like we can be our authentic selves and give you the best product. Because we don't want to be walking around thinking about, well, are they thinking about that I'm too ethnic or uh, did I have too much of an accent or do they think I'm too, too aggressive? Do they think I'm too, you know, you know, all of the words that we hear about us, angry and, and just hard to get along with. Right. So I appreciate those comments that we continue to push and we continue to challenge leaders to really reconsider their entire evaluation process. So absolutely, I appreciate um, the insights and, and those, those words to um, tie that together. You know, if I, can just, if I can just share something, it, yep. it makes me think about like, uh, as you probably can, can hear or see, like I get very excited and passionate like right away. Like I got, a lot of, I, I got a lot of energy, right? But what I'm starting to realize is to the points that are being made, like I have to warn people sometimes that they don't interpret that as me being angry or mad. Mm -hmm. And I had to do that a couple of times in meetings. There's, there's uh, someone who I, uh, I work with and, and uh, we always talk about this all the time and, and she's a black woman and she's always like, sometimes I can't say that because I'm a black woman and they're an interpreter. And, and it's just, it's just such a more of a layer you're putting on people. Mm -hmm. And then people are going to definitely be reserved on themselves. 
And then like we're missing out on the goodness of people. Yeah. They're thinking about that instead of things that we should be thinking about, right? It's just yeah. a layer that I wish that, that that would just go away somehow. Even even with the LGBTQ plus community, right? Like they have to think about that and see feel accepted. And we're missing out on their greatness because they're thinking about other things. Like let's let people be people and, let, and let's just do the good things we're trying to go do as who we are, yeah. not as who we are not. Yeah, yeah, yeah try to assimilate as opposed to being who I naturally am on an everyday basis. Carlos, thank you so much for that. And Daisy, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Just give me some closing thoughts, some things that, you know, maybe keep you up at night or what gives you encouragement. What, what are you excited about? Because we could tell Carlos he's excited, <laughs> right? Which is a great thing. But what makes Daisy excited? What are you thinking about this? Like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait for this to come. Um, I mean, what excites me is the possibility of change. Uh, and this is why I do what I do every day. Um, my team knows that my job is to help create conditions for them to succeed so that all of our employees can succeed. And we do that with a radically inclusive, radically equitable mindset. That's, that's every single day I get up and that's what I think about. How do I help people get out of their way so that they can build, nurture, and create the workplaces that, um, you know, that, that work for everyone. Um, yeah. so, so what excites me is knowing that I'm not the only one, <laughs> you know, that there are, you know, that there are Carlos's out there, that they are, you know, Danielle's and Megan's and Henny's, you know, these are my team members who I meet with, you know, who I just met with right before I had this conversation. And we spent two hours ideating on, you know, the future of our strategies and our work and what we do and how we should do it. Um, that's what gives me hope. That's what gives me um, energy. And it's knowing that it's, you know, it's little actions every day. And it's millions of people doing millions of things every day towards the change that we want to see. And knowing that that is happening, and that that will happen, because I have a 13 year old daughter. And my greatest dream for her is that she can walk anywhere on this earth and feel seen, valued and respected. And that in turn, she she does that for others as well. And she gives me hope. Everybody gives me hope. The, pe the young people at Vice that I work with give me hope that that is possible. Yeah. It, Daisy, I think that that is a perfect spot for us to close our conversation. And, and with all sincerity, I absolutely thank each one of you for your engagement, for your transparency, and in, in, in letting us in on understanding your community. Uh, because again, I think that we have so many parallels that it's essential that we continue to find those things that we can work together on, that we can partner with, because not only can I sense the excitement that radiates from you and from Carlos, I hope that you can sense that this isn't just a job for me either. This is a passion that I have. And I think in order for it to be successful, you can't go at it any other way, right? That passion has to come across for other people to get them passionate about it and, and joining in on that cause. So with my sincerest thank you, I appreciate this conversation. It has been so necessary and perfect timing, especially since it's happening during uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. Larry Baker, Daisy Dominguez, Carlos Herrera. I'm trying, Carlos. I love the try. The try is what I care about, so I appreciate that. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your participation and your engagement. Thank, thank you. Sir. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Have a good one.
And to all of you that are listening, we want to know, what were your biggest takeaways from this conversation? Please share them with us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn at Language and Culture Worldwide or LCW. Once again, thank you for joining us in Courageous Conversations with LCW.